So welcome back to another episode of Relatively Certain. This week's kind of a special episode. I'm here with Emily Edwards. Hello. So the Nobel Prize in Physics uh, was just awarded to some scientists that led the hunt for gravitational waves. And we're sitting down with Peter Sean, a physics professor at the University of Maryland, who works on the first project that actually spotted gravitational waves a little more than two years ago, LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory which is this huge project involving more than a thousand people. Peter's going to tell us about LIGO and help us to learn more about gravitational waves and and really hear the story behind this year's prize. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the word uh, that was in the press release, gravitational wave. What is a gravitational wave? A gravitational wave is a ripple in the geometry of space-time. It travels through space at the speed of light, and it changes the distance between points in space-time. And so, so, I mean, it's like a ripple, so... Does that mean when a gravitational wave comes by that, that you and I stretch and stuff? Yeah, anything that's in the, in the space-time, all of our atoms would, would pull a, a little farther apart or move a little closer together with the gravitational wave. Why don't I feel that I'm being stretched and compressed? Right. Are, are gravitational waves rare? I mean, where are they coming they from? They are. Are they're... they hitting me? Uh, why don't I feel it? So the gravitational waves are being produced by massive objects, um, black holes, neutron stars. We have predictions for sources like these, but they're very weak when they get to the Earth. So uh, the gravitational waves passing through you and me are so tiny that we, we don't even feel anything. And they're weak because those black holes are really far away, or they just they were strong. To, like if I was sitting next to a black hole, maybe I would have felt it. Exactly, but you know a they're thing. a billion light years away, and so over that distance, then when they spread out from that source, uh, they they weaken. So since they're so weak, then what are the how could you possibly spot them here, right? Yeah, well, it's a big challenge, and you know um, Joe Weber, who is a professor here at Maryland, was the first person to really think seriously about doing that, and he he had some um, early detector ideas. But what the uh, the technology that we use now uh, uses laser interferometers, these sensitive, we're basically sensitive rulers that uh, where we use lasers. Um, bouncing back and forth to measure distances extremely precisely. And so I've, I've now I've heard like um, these comparisons to how sensitive LIGO is. And, and there's, there's these crazy things about, you know, it's like telling the distance between New York and Los Angeles to within some crazy high precision. Can you, can you say something about how precise those, those measurements are? So one way to think about how precise LIGO is, is that it can measure lengths to about 10 to the minus 18 meters, which is tiny. It's much smaller than a proton. So it's, if you imagine we've got these mirrors, laser beams bouncing back and forth between them, and we're measuring the distance between those mirrors to 10 to the minus 18 meters or so. So by making the arms of LIGO four kilometers long, we have a reasonably large change of 10 to the minus 18 meters. You know, if it were a tabletop experiment, it would be 10 to the minus 20 meters, and that's just crazy. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't sound too much crazier, right? Well, okay. <laughs> Ten to the minus eighteen meters is also crazy, but it turns out it's just not crazy enough that we can do it. So that's that's where all the um, the brilliant design and engineering has gone in to realize that on this scale, with the technology we have available, we can build detectors which are capable of measuring these signals. Um, you know, there's these very violent events happening super far away in space. And then by the time the signature of those violent events comes to Earth, it's like this barely barely wiggle. <laughs> Almost nobody can see. And then people write a proposal to build this gigantic interferometer, which is located... 
So the LIGO interferometers are located in Louisiana and Washington State. And then they submit this thing to the NSF and is like, please fund this gigantic, I mean, it must take a lot of people, a lot of work to get this together. Please fund this thing so we can detect uh, violent collisions somewhere far in space that don't affect us at all. I mean, why would people... I mean, other than it sounds like awesome physics and black holes are awesome and, you know, neutron stars are awesome. Why would people even be interested in in doing this? Yeah, it's really a visionary project, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And it has been. And, you know, the National Science Foundation is the leading funder of this, has really been great to the project over the years, having faith that it will would finally work and bear fruit and all that, and uh, with supporting funding from other agencies and so on. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's really remarkable. Um, but I think it just captured the imagination of scientists and those who are interested in science because it's so fantastic to think that we can detect these little whispers of gravitational effects from faraway objects uh, and and some of the most interesting things you know neutron stars black holes uh, some of these uh, fabulous things that are out there and that we would like to understand better and so this in fact is the one of the first signals that that LIGO spotted right right our our September 2015 signal was a pair of black holes um, spiraling together and merging. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was spectacular. And it was also rather unexpected to most of us that they were black holes that we detected first. Uh, I and a bunch of other people had kind of guessed that we would detect neutron stars first. That was our, our, um, our gold standard source, you know, our, our archetypal source. And what's been your, your main interest there in, in working on LIGO? What's been your role in the collaboration? I've done different things, but mostly I've been working on data analysis and then the astrophysics interpretation of the data. And in recent years, uh, I've been focusing on combining our gravitational wave data with other astronomical observations. So uh, collaborating with astronomers to, for them to search for gamma ray bursts, optical afterglows, x-rays, radio transients, uh, all associated with an event that we detect in gravitational waves. If we can do that, then we can learn a lot about the source from these different types of information that we get from the gravitational waves, which are telling us about the core event, uh, you know, the motion of the mass that collided or collapsed. And then the outflows, all the um, particles, the energetic particles and mass that gets uh, spewed out by the event and uh, glows or accretes into a disk and, and makes a jet that produces gamma ray bursts. There's all sorts of really rich, fabulous astrophysics that happens. Can you say a few words about what the future of gravitational wave astronomy might look like? Right. Well, we're still tuning up the LIGO detectors, so we'll make those better. Complementing LIGO, uh, the European community uh, proposed and has built a detector called Virgo, which is very similar to LIGO in its design, um, and it uses the same principle. Also, the, the, in Japan, there's a detector called Kagro, which is being built uh, now, which will join the network in some years. And we are getting started uh, building an observatory in India to install another copy of a LIGO interferometer in India. And there's a project now getting underway um, uh, in earnest to put uh, laser interferometers in orbit. The, Orbiting spacecraft firing laser beams back and forth will use the same detection idea as LIGO does, but on a longer scale and tuned to search for lower frequency signals. So it'll explore a different range of gravitational wave sources in the universe. 
So when you say longer scale, before you were saying uh, four kilometers are the ones on Earth, what are we talking about? Now we're talking about spacecraft that are stationed a million kilometers apart and firing laser beams back and forth to each other to measure the distance uh, between them. So for you, what's been the, you, you've been involved with LIGO now for for more than a decade, years. 18 years. Yeah. So what's been sort of the most exciting or, or maybe satisfying thing about seeing the project, seeing being in the project for so long and, and seeing what's happened now? You know, it's been a, a real thrill to work on this project. And for many years, the project itself was its own reward. And uh, it's so much fun now that we actually have uh, signals that we've detected and uh, can analyze. And we're really uh, digging into what we're learning from the gravitational waves. LIGO is a testament to the fact that people working together can solve amazing problems and push the technology and the capabilities to the absolute limits. Great. Well, thanks, Peter. It was, it was a pleasure to chat, and um, congratulations to the, the collaboration. Yeah, and thanks again for sharing some of the physics behind this year's Nobel Prize. I'm happy to be here and happy to talk with you. We'll be back again soon, so keep your ears open. For Relatively Certain, I'm Emily Edwards. And I'm Chris Caesar. 